perspectives. So Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 4. Or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 4. In our first service today, uh, Greg Woolwine, one of our deacons, led us in communion. And in, after the message, Tony Postoid, another deacon, will lead us in communion. But and Greg shared this morning that, that sometimes he, he just feels like, like he should be doing more and there's just there's this uneasiness and he wants to be doing more, but he, he just doesn't know what to do and he feels that more and more and more and he's thankful for it. Um, I call that a, just a just holy unrest or a holy, ho, a holy restlessness or inconvenience. And, and, and church, I'm going to be very honest with you. I pray for that on all of us. Um, that, that we do not become complacent with where we are um, because uh, one of the reasons that we are in this series is to, to show us as we increasingly uh, move up chairs from chair one to chair four, the chair four disciples are what the kingdom of God needs. Uh, and that's our desire is for this church, not, not a few of us, not some of us, not most of us, but all of us, to strive with everything we have to be chair for disciples who are making disciples for the kingdom of God. And it's going to get a little, a little, a little tough today and next week because these are the weeks, these are the seasons of our faith walk where a lot of us get stuck in the mud, where we might hit a roadblock and we just stall out and we lose the desire to, to move forward. We, 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 we get frustrated with the world around us and our inability to interact with that world and to make a difference in that world. Um, and that's because we're going about it the wrong way. That's because we're, we're, not, we're not tapping into all that we should be tapping into. So I pray today that in that holy discomfort that you sense God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, moving you and empowering you to become more and more of a disciple-making disciple as we see Jesus imitating in Scripture for us. And so I pray that though you may be spinning your wheels and flinging mud all over the place right now, that through the power of the Spirit you break through and you become a more and more perfect image-bearer and disciple-maker for Christ's kingdom. Um, we have, we've been talking now for several weeks, and we're going to continue for several weeks talking about this example, this picture, this model, this foundation of disciple-making. Um, and we, we, we've talked about how each chair represents something different. Chair one, you are characterized as being dead. Something miraculous happens in, in you and to you and, and moves you into chair two where you are alive and you begin to grow. And then today in chair three, we're going to see that in chair three, we continue to be alive with more freedom and more responsibility given to us in that chair. Chair one is the seeker looking for the answer, looking for the answer. Chair two is defined as that infant, that baby who, who, who is now maturing and he's, he's living off of milk and, and whatever's in the Gerber baby food jars. Um, but then as he moves and progresses to chair number three, there's more and more substance uh, in their spiritual diet. Uh, chair three we're going to designate or, or characterize as young men or young women, teenagers in the, the physically developing uh, uh, part of the example, but those who are being given more and more responsibility, more and more is expected of them. Chair one, you are lost. Chair two, you become a believer. And chair three, you are now what we're going to call a worker. I want us, before we get into Scripture, 
I've warned you about this a couple of times, but sometimes when we read in Scripture, we just like flipping through the pages, one right after another, and we think it happened just bam, 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 in that order chronologically. You've got to remember, sometimes there's a big gap. Sometimes we're, we're lucky, and it says the next day, the next day, but sometimes there's big gaps between the stories that we read in Scripture. Right? Remember that Jesus had over three years where he was in public ministry on this planet, and a big chunk of that was discipling. Come and see. Follow me. Follow me, and I'm going to give you some responsibilities. You're going to be fishers of men. So we've got to remember that this is a process. This doesn't happen one week right after another. It's a process that occurred over months. So with that in mind, I would like for us to read two texts today before we jump into them and and hopefully take a little bit away from them. The first is Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read the first 11 verses of this chapter. Luke 5, verse number 1, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out unto the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell on his knees, saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that day, or that, that they uh, had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they brought, had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. Let's read a, a, a similar section of scripture taken from another vantage point uh, over in or back in Matthew chapter four. Jesus, uh, right before this, we don't know exactly how long had been tempted in the wilderness. We talked about that uh, last month, but in chapter four, verse twelve, it picks up where Jesus is beginning his ministry. Now, when he, Jesus, heard that John, and now this is not fisherman John, this is cousin John the Baptist. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is pretty cool right here. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. I want you to think about that prophecy and how it was just fulfilled to those people and the light coming in. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, and with Zebedee, their father, bending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat, and their father followed they left their, their boat and their father and followed him. Two similar accounts of Jesus calling his disciples, who would become four of the 12 apostles. As we look at this, I, I, I want us to notice a, f- a few things about these two accounts. I want you to notice what Jesus says. And this is, this is a side before we get into the, the, what, what, what we're here to talk about. Notice what Jesus says. He says, follow me. That's an action. You follow me. I will make. Right? In obedience, if you follow me, I will do the work of making you. It's, a lot, it's, it's akin to what he says in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. Or in Acts 2, 47, the Lord added daily to those who are being saved. The, the, the thing is here, when we are obedient, God does the work of growing. When we are obedient in fulfilling the, the, what God has asked us to do, he brings the growth. You've heard me say it many times. Our job is not changing people's heart, not convicting them of sin, not saving them. We can't do any of that. All we can do is introduce them to Jesus Christ. That is our role in being obedient. Now, in this stage of, uh, of development, right, there are several things that are happening. Back in the Luke section of Scripture, I want you to notice some things. There are, I want you to notice some things about Jesus' disciples in this stage, in this part of the process. Notice that they were available, they were faithful, they were teachable, they were enthusiastic about the lessons that they were learning, and they were responsive to Jesus' leadership. Now, uh, just real quickly, just to look at each of those, right, in verses 1 and 2 and 3, right, they had just worked a full shift. Right? I am not an expert in uh, first century fishing techniques. I'm not an expert or anywhere close to 2023 fishing and catching techniques. But they had just worked a full shift. So put that in your, uh, in your setting, 12-hour shift, 8-hour shift, 10-hour shift. They had just finished a long day, probably for them a night. Right? But, but they were available. Jesus said, hey, put the boats out just a little bit, and they did that. They didn't throw up the excuse, I, I, I'm ready to go home and see my wife and the kids. She has breakfast ready for me before I hit the pillow for a little bit and take a nap before I have to get back up and do this all over again. No, they were available. They were ready to go when Jesus needed them. They were faithful. Notice the, the, the phrase, at your word. Right? Uh, when Jesus spoke, they believed. They were teachable. Right now, it starts, Peter almost said, uh, we've been doing this a long time, or we've been doing this all night, right? but he stops himself. He says, at your word. He didn't say, whoa, aren't you a carpenter? You know about driving nails and making things stand up straight, and I, I know about fishing. I, my granddad taught my, my, my dad, and my dad taught us, just stay in your lane, Jesus. No, again, he was, he was teachable. At your word, they were open to where Jesus was leading them. And they were enthusiastic about this, mainly because they had to or they were going to end up at the bottom of the sea. 
Right? They were waving over their partners to bring their boats over so that they could, 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 could take some of the fish and put it in there. But notice also right, that, that Jesus or that Peter fell on his face. Now, that means two things. One, it's, it's a sign of conviction. <laughs> uh, you're somebody that's unlike anybody else around, but it's also a sign of worship. He was, he was, they were enthusiastic about this, and they were responsive. They left everything, boats and dad, and followed after Jesus. This was a time of transition for Jesus and his disciples, right? For Jesus, I mean, if in the Matthew account, we see that it was a transition uh, in leadership. He got word that cousin John was in jail, and that had to, uh, to like get him a, uh, like a little bit anxious, the human Jesus anxious, because he realizes that Herod Antipas is paying attention to what the family is doing. Now, John the Baptist was the first speaker of this Jesus movement, and he had, he had covered an area of about 300 square miles, and there was quite a following of people who were starting to respond to, Jesus, to John's message of repent, and now John is in jail, and not too long from now, John's going to be executed. Jesus now takes over the leading of this movement that he came to complete. Right? So it's a, it's a transition of leadership. It's also a transition of location. Notice that he's been, in, he's been in Nazareth for a little bit. Now we know that his effect on Nazareth was sort of iffy. That whole prophet is without honor in his own town. They, they rejected him. But now... He is being sort of forced because of the pressure to move away. 18-ish miles from, from Nazareth to Capernaum. Doesn't sound like a lot for us. Right? This morning, I hopped in the Prius and drove more than that to get here. Right? But they, Jesus didn't have the Prius. So 18 miles is a biggest, big, bigger distance for them. And he moved up to Capernaum, right? this, this small town of maybe 20 to 40 people that were mostly extended family who were probably just sort of hiding out, waiting for the Messiah to show up. Right? That's sort of ironic, isn't it? <laughs> They'd been waiting on him and didn't see him. But he goes to Capernaum, and it's sort of northeast from where he was, about 18 miles to the Sea of Galilee. Never been there. Would love to, but the pictures you see are beautiful. Right? It looks like a vacation place that we pay thousands of dollars to go to every summer, right? And destinations that we go to. But it was different in a lot of other ways, too. Because Nazareth was very isolated, but this place, Capernaum, was on a highway, a trade highway. So there were people coming and going all the time. Right? If, you, if you take three cities, uh, Capernaum, which is right on the, the, the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, and you go up to Chorazim, which is a little bit up, and over to Bethsaida, and you make that triangle, the majority of Jesus' miracles were, were performed in that triangle right there, right on top of, it sets like a cap on top of the Sea of Galilee. So there was a, a change in location for Jesus' ministry. There was a transition in the message, too. We're not real sure what all Jesus taught his, his, his disciples during this time leading up to here, but now he starts championing, he starts preaching the same message that John the Baptist, repent, repent before the king, because the kingdom is coming. Eighty times Jesus references the kingdom, right? Many of those times that the kingdom is near or the kingdom has come, so the message has changed as well. It is also a transition of calling. He has now called these four men, 
to simply not just follow him around and pay attention, but I'm going to, but follow me, and I'm going to start giving you responsibilities. This starts the, the time where Jesus sends them out two by two. You remember that? Right? He doesn't say two by two and then go back to heaven. No, he sends them out two by two, and then he calls them back in. And that's about, that is what this stage is all about, is this, this giving you more and more freedom and more and more responsibility, but he still calls you back in, and he gives you coaching sessions. And, uh, uh, and they come back, and remember one time they said, we couldn't do anything with this. We couldn't, we couldn't do this. And Jesus says, your, your approach was wrong. Right? This could only be driven out. This could only be accomplished by prayer. So it's time where you're given more and more and more freedom and more and more responsibility. It was a transition for Jesus' disciples then for sure, but it is for us too as we transition from chair two to chair three. Because there's a transition there that instead of Jesus just pouring and pouring and pouring into us, now he's starting to do work through us. No more is he just filling up, oh, this is what I've come to do, this is how you're going to do it. Now he's using us as a conduit to use, uh, to, to fulfill his mission. We are given more and more responsibility. There's more and more expected of us. And, and, and maybe this is simply through opening the door as people come in. Maybe it's through uh, watching the nursery on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's through volunteering in, in our summit ministry or storytelling in uh, Team Kid or in Upstreet. Maybe it's delivering a meal to a family in need. It's putting all that has been poured into you and will be, be, and will be continued to be poured into you into action as you start to put hands and feet to the mission. It's a, it's a transition in another sense. It's a transition from relying on your own giftedness to the Spirit's empowerment. One of the most critical lessons to be learned as we transition into chair three is a new way of living in the Spirit. I challenge you this week just to do, uh, just to do a simple Bible, even just use Google to search what living in the Spirit means, about serving in the Spirit, giving in the Spirit, being empowered in the Spirit, dying to self by the Spirit, all of these things. And church, this is where many of us hit a wall. I want you to think back. For many of you, when you came to Christ, uh, and when you put your faith in Jesus, maybe it's when you came up out of the waters of baptism, you were on fire. You were ready to go. You went down to Dollar General and you bought that 50 cents plastic squirt gun that already had leaks in it and filled it up and you were ready to chase after and conquer hell with that 50 cent squirt gun. And you were telling people about what Jesus had done to you. You're telling how, how, how he made you alive, how you're now a follower of him. And you, and you were telling your, 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 you were telling your faith to everybody. I remember when I was in high school, uh, I went out to Indiana on a mission, a mission trip with, with our church. And part of that was door knocking. And I did not like door knocking. Did not like it at all. Right? And you go up that first time and your knees are knocking and your mouth is dry and you knock on the door and you are scared to death. The only thing more scary to me was my minister was at the end of the sidewalk just watching me as I did this. And I didn't want to go back and tell him I failed or at least I didn't try. So you knock on that. You know what happened between door one and door two? It got just a little bit easier. By door three, right, you didn't mess up quite as much. You weren't sweating quite as profusely. It gets easier and easier and easier. The first time you talk about Jesus, it might be tough. Right? But, but then 
as you're on fire and as you're going and as you, you just want, you have something that you want to share with the rest of the world, somebody says no. Somebody says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Somebody slams a door in your face. You get puked on in children's ministry, right? You find out middle schoolers drive you nuts and you get stuck. However you want to describe it, your wheels are spinning, you're stuck in the mud, you hit a wall and you can't get, uh, you can't get around it and you're just dazed. And it's at this point in time where we either cut bait or we realize that we've got to quit doing this of our own accord. And we need to start letting the Holy Spirit work in us and through us. Because church, that's the only way we're going to be able to transition from chair to chair, from being dead to being alive to maturing to being a disciple who is making disciples naturally. We have to let the Holy Spirit work through us. We have to give him permission. What's the problem? Paul tells us, right? I encourage you this week to go and read Romans 7 and 8 because Paul tells us a similar situation in Romans chapter 7 of why we hit walls at times and why we just want to give up, why we get frustrated, why we get, how we get worn out, right? We're drained, right? We, we, we've, we've done enough. We're not seeing enough fruit. Why? What went wrong? Paul tells us. In Romans chapter 7, Paul uses words like this. I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing this. It's also the first recorded tongue twister in Scripture. But, and then he says in verse 24, something like that, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. If you go through there, I encourage you to count in chapter 7 of Romans how many times Paul uses the word I or refers to him. I'll give you the answer. It's 29. 29 times in one chapter, Paul focuses on himself. But the very next chapter, Paul gives a glorious answer to, that, to this issue. It's the Spirit who gives us victory. In chapter 8, 19 times, Paul explains that it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. I, I encourage you. I implore you. I beg of you. Church, we have got to stop just relying on our God-given talents. We've got to also rely on the God-given Spirit to propel us forward and to remember our role obedience, changing, convicting, converting, transforming, saving, Holy Spirit's job. This is also a time of transition for disciples from location, from the classroom to the commission. We are, we are now going, moving to chair three in our, in our Christian journey demands learning new skills such as endurance, no longer are we thinking about just what is right in front of our face. What does my schedule hold tomorrow or this week? We have a new mindset when it comes to our time and our calendar because it now includes eternity. And as good and as rough as the here and now and the tomorrow and the next week might be, that's how much more amazing is eternity going to be. And that's where our focus must be set because those around us, right, those sitting in this room, we love this group of people, 
And we want to do all that we can to build them up so that one day we walk into the presence of God for all eternity. But man, I hope that we love our neighbor, our coworker, our classmate, the dude we don't like, that coworker who, who, who messes up the work environment, that, that classmate who ruins the curve every time he gets an opportunity. I hope we still love them enough not to want them to spend eternity in hell. And it's only through seeing eternity as our endpoint, and not tomorrow, not next week, that we can stay focused on what we are called to do. Moving from chair two to chair three and residing in chair three is an exciting time. Man, think about the privileges that you were given when you were a teenager. We all counted down the time and the day until we got to 16, right? Did we get our license, get freedom? There were still strings attached to that. There was still check-in times. There was still curfew, but we were given more freedom. It's an exciting time. Mom and dad are loosening control, and the same is true as disciples of Christ. Jesus is loosening control. He's saying, I've taught you a little bit. I've taught you enough. Now go and practice what I've told you. It's learning to rely more on the Holy Spirit, to sense his power, to recognize his power, to invite his power, to relish and to cherish his power and his presence. It's, it's looking further down the road into eternity and not just what's right in front of us. It's a powerful time for disciples of Christ, and it's also a tough time for disciples of Christ. For some disciples, this would be lack of a better term, the end of the road in their development. It's not Tony Foreman saying that. It's if we go to a place in Scripture like Matthew chapter 9, we're reading here in Matthew chapter 9 that about Jesus' teaching about how the harvest is plentiful. In, in, in chapter 9, at the, it's the last paragraph of that chapter, verse 35, is Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and hopeless or helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, and I imagine him just telling them to, to look, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Your translation may, you be, may have the word that we use on the screen, worker. The workers are few. Why? Well, there's a, there's a scripture over in John chapter uh, 6 that tells us a little bit of why. The workers are few. In John chapter 6, it's just a little bit of context, and we talked on this a little bit last week, right, while the disciples in chair two were just following him around like, like ducklings following the mother duck around, right? They, he, they witnessed some things like the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. And then Jesus breaks into this message, this teaching about he is the bread of life, and he starts covering some deep stuff. Right, some stuff that's hard for them to stomach, hard for them to get their mind around. And at the end of that section of scripture, right, in verse number, in that message, in verse number sixty, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, "This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it?" But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, "Do you take offense at this?" Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. It's set off in parentheses here. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who, who, it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to walk away as well? Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It got too tough. The ask got too much. Now notice these aren't just people who, are, who are, are just, have just, uh, hey, Jesus is in town and they came for one show and then left. No, these are disciples, people who have been watching and following Jesus. They were, they were buying into what he was saying, but it just got to be too much. And they threw on the brakes and they left. Being in chair three, the journey from two to three is an exciting time, but man, it can be tough as well. The teaching of Jesus and the level of commitment needed to keep progressing in your spiritual maturity uh, becomes a roadblock for many. So I want to ask you this morning, how do you respond to this? Do you respond as those people in verse 66 that they walked away, or do you resonate with Simon Peter when he says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe. We are all in. There is no other option for us. Church, salvation is a free gift from God through grace, through Jesus Christ. Not a thing that we can do to earn it. But discipleship is costly. It's going to cost you everything. Many aren't willing to pay the price. Are you? So for the fourth, but not the final time, I'm going to ask you this morning, in which chair do you currently sit? Are you in chair one, lost though you may be seeking? Your only options are to ignore or to surrender. I pray today that you choose to surrender to the Holy Spirit working on you, to God pursuing you, and you surrender to Him. I've messed up my life. I'm a terrible Savior. I'm a terrible Messiah. I need you, the true Redeemer. Maybe today you're in chair two. You're learning. You're taking it all in. You're watching. This morning, I encourage you to step out just a little bit to step out of your comfort zone just a itty bit, even if it's just a, even if it's just a, a tiny shuffle to, stay, to move in that direction, to trust more, to stretch yourself uh, to a little bit more, to have a little more faith that God's going to take care of you as you take that step, as you move closer to chair three. And as you're making that transition, I want to ask you, are you available? Are you faithful? Is your spirit teachable? Are you eager and enthusiastic when Jesus asks something of you? And are you responsive?
Chair three, we're so grateful for all of you in this room this morning who sit in chair three. All you do to keep this church going, ministries going, and this church growing. But I don't want that to become the end for you. Don't let this be where you get stuck in the mud, where you hit a roadblock. Because while we may be able to do some cool things in a church from seat number three, the kingdom cannot grow if we are sitting in chair three. It's going to take us, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, it's going to take us, more and more of us, moving into chair number four for the kingdom of God to grow for the great commission to one day be realized and fulfilled. And man, as a 50-year-old dude who doesn't know how many decades, if decades, he has left on this planet, would it not be awesome to see the great commission fulfilled in our lifetime? What's holding us back? We have more technology now than any time in the history of humans. What's holding us back from fulfilling that commission it's because we like how comfortable seat number three is. And we become stuck there. Few of us right now, few of us in our lifetime are willing to do what it takes to step out of that comfort zone to the point that we are going and bearing fruit on a regular basis. Our goal is for all of us to be in that chair. Okay. Today, wherever you are, I pray that you respond however you need to to move from seat to seat, from level of, from level of commitment, from level of discipleship, level of service and love to the next. In a second, we're going to sing a song. It's called Thank You, Jesus, and it's thanking him for all that he gave his life. How thankful are you? Are you willing to repay eye for eye, tooth for tooth? He gave all for us. What if we gave all for him?